NPR. There is a new soda brand I'm seeing all over the place when I go grocery shopping these days. It has very cute, vintage-looking designs on the can and flavors like banana cream and vintage cola. It's called Olipop. About a year ago, I had never even heard of this brand, and now it's at my grocery store, it's at my local bakery, and at Target. Yeah, it feels like one day it was just everywhere, right? Like, how did that happen? How indeed. Hello, Dan Pashman, host of the Sporkful Food Podcast. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Waylon. Thanks for having me back. What you're seeing with Olipop is an example of what I think is one of the most interesting changes in the way grocery stores do business these days. Because you may have noticed that it's not just Olipop that's popped up on the shelves overnight. There's a lot more new, small, independent brands in grocery stores now. From yogurts to barbecue sauces to refrigerated beverages, supermarket aisles have been completely transformed. This is The Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Waylon Wong. And on today's show, we'll look at how small food brands with small budgets have been able to compete with huge global food companies and stake a claim in the grocery store. It involves a battle royale over shelf space. And we'll find out how Olipop is winning. That's coming up after the break. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Your business faces specific challenges and unique opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, custom tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the expertise, strategy, and resources of a top 10 commercial bank, a dedicated team works with you to support your success and help achieve your goals. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Support for NPR and the following message come from This is Small Business. Get actionable advice from a diverse group of entrepreneurs on how to start, build, and grow a small business. Listen to This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. For a limited time, new customer plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Go to mintmobile.com slash indicator. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. To understand the hidden economics of the grocery store and what's behind Olipop's apparent overnight success, I went to Fairway Market, a small grocery chain in New York City. But I wasn't alone. I brought along a guide with me, Professor John Stanton. I'm uh, chairman of the food marketing department at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia. How'd you get into this work? Serendipitously, I got a consulting contract with Campbell Soup, and that was about 50 years ago. Uh, so I've been doing this literally for 50 years. And what, what drew you into it? What did you like about it? Money. Well, he's honest, right? Yeah, this is an economic show. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. In addition to teaching, John spent decades consulting for a range of major food brands and supermarket chains. And he says food companies are in a constant cutthroat battle for that prime shelf space between your eyes and your thighs. Is that what the industry says? Yes, eyes to thighs. That's their Madison Avenue. (laughs) This is the most valuable real estate in the supermarket aisle. And traditionally, retailers have charged companies like Olipop to get on the shelves, and brands pay more for this prime real estate. These charges are called slotting fees. John says the big companies will sometimes buy up extra shelf space just to keep competitors off the shelf. Ooh, devious. Yeah. Now, as John and I are talking, I see a guy in the soda aisle stocking Pepsi. 
His name's Chuck. He's a Pepsi distributor, and he can vouch for what John's telling me. My chief competition is Coca-Cola, and they buy out all the space whenever they can. Like, for example, the Target. We were up about 40% in the last year in Target, and all of a sudden, Coke did some kind of slotting payments or whatever it was, and now we used to have, like, maybe... Uh, 40% of the shelf. Now we got 20% of the oh. shelf, and they have 80% of the shelf. Wow. So it is unbelievable. Yeah. Now my company has to come to bat again, but they do that constantly. So if big guns like Coke and Pepsi are battling for shelf space, how did so many upstart products get in there? How the heck did Olipop get in there? Well, grocery stores developed a new strategy, driven by new data collected from those frequent shopper cards that so many of us use at checkout. Those cards might save you a few bucks, but they're actually much more valuable to the stores. Here's Professor Stanton again. Over the years, they've been able to get deeper into the consumer who are buying, and they're learning more about what people want. Yeah, they're giving me coupons for all the things I do want. (laughs) And one thing that supermarkets realized is that it wasn't enough to just focus on the products that are bestsellers. They needed to look at what products people bought together, what items tend to end up in the same shopping cart. John, the professor, gives me an example. One store stopped carrying papaya baby food because it wasn't a big seller. But then sales of baby wipes and diapers plummeted. Turns out even though not many people were buying papaya baby food, the customers who did buy it were bigger spenders on baby products overall. So when they lost papaya, they lost the customer who spends a lot of money. It was a papaya apocalypse. (laughs) So equipped with these types of insights, retailers began doing more to attract bigger spenders. And when stores looked at the data on these customers, they saw a pattern. These people wanted more small-batch artisanal products with fewer processed ingredients. But those types of brands don't usually have the deep pockets of a Coke or Pepsi. John says in the past it would cost a company millions in slotting fees to get in stores nationally. So retailers decided to make a change. They would give up slotting fees from smaller startup brands and give them shelf space for free in order to bring in those bigger spending customers. Which is why figuring out which seltzer I should buy out of all the options can send me into a tailspin of self-doubt and recrimination. (laughs) So now there are some startups that have prime shelf real estate that they aren't paying for. But not all the startups have it. Competition among these smaller brands is intense. So how do you get those free or discounted shelf slots? That brings us to the small soda brand that I've been seeing everywhere these days, Olipop. It's a soda with low sugar and a big serving of fiber. There's 80% more fiber in Olipop than there is in a serving of Metamucil. So it's a, it's, a, it's a healthy dose. So this is Stephen Vigilante, director of growth and talent at Olipop. He says Olipop got their first big break when they got into Erewhon, that ultra-exclusive grocery store in L.A. They sell products like sea moss gel, camel milk, and $26 water. What a bargain! <laughs> Celebrities are always seen shopping there. Anyway, Erewhon's core customers are big spenders, people that national grocery chains would love to get in their stores. Olipop did really well at Erewhon, and based on that success, they pitched their product to Whole Foods and Sprouts. But in order to get onto shelves in those chains, Olipop needed to knock something else off. Yeah, Waylon, you know, it's not like grocery stores have empty shelves just waiting for the next cool food product to come in. A new brand has to prove they deserve to replace something that's there. And even though Olipop calls itself a soda, they're not in the soda aisle. Their competition was the product sitting right next to them on the shelf, kombucha. And like kombucha, Olipop is sold individually in the refrigerated aisle. It sells for about two fifty a can, which is more than a can of Coke, but less than most bottles of kombucha. 
in 2018, 2019 when we launched, there had been this like massive boom in the kombucha category. And we were just making the argument like, let us take out one of those and see how we can compete with the rest of the kombuchas. And that's, you know, that was like a core component of our strategy at the beginning, which is proving we could be better than the bottom half of the kombucha set. In 2020, Olipop got into Sprouts nationwide. And a year later, they were in Whole Foods nationally. They were on a roll. But traditionally, that's when a startup could run into those hefty slotting fees. They may have to slow their growth until they can have cash on hand for more fees or settle for the dreaded bottom shelf. But now... So if you're growing really fast and there's a lot of consumer adoption for the product, there's a lot of buzz on social media, as a brand, you have more negotiating leverage to not pay slotting fees if a retailer kind of wants and needs your product. Olipop was becoming exactly that kind of product. It was getting a lot of traction on TikTok, getting a lot of attention from millennials and Gen Zers. And Olipop was able to use this growing audience to pitch itself to big grocery chains like Kroger and Walmart. Now they're in over 30,000 stores nationwide. We're bringing, you know, new users to a category in, in a lot of cases. And so people who maybe at Walmart, as an example, we're buying traditional soda and we're not even looking at this like digestive health set are now moving there and, you know, candidly spending more money per can than they are on a traditional soda. And that also matters. The digestive health crowd. You know, the digestive health set. <laughs> Dan Pashman from the Sporkful Food Podcast. Thank you so much. Can you tell us what is going on in the Sporkful this week? It's actually a very exciting week, Waylon. We just launched a brand new podcast. It's called Deep Dish, hosted by Sola and Ham El Whaley. They're a married duo of chefs, and in each episode, they tell the surprising story of a food, then go home to see what the story inspires them to cook up. The first episode starts with a police detective in Mississippi being called to the scene of a car wreck where he finds two dead bodies and a trunk full of tamales. I hope the episode includes the line, take the gun, leave the tamales. It does now. Editing, editing, editing. <laughs> anyway, all episodes of Deep Dish are running in the Sporkful feed. This episode was produced by Andres O'Hara and Julia Ritchie with engineering by Robert Rodriguez. It was fact-checked by Angel Carreras and edited by Patty Hirsch. The Indicator is a production of NPR. At this year's Oscars, Oppenheimer took home the award for Best Picture, Emma Stone and Robert Downey Jr. also picked up wins, and Ryan Gosling brought the Kennergy. For a recap of all the highlights, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Microsoft. Monday at the office feel like a storm. When AI-powered Microsoft Copilot simplifies data and uncovers insights, it feels more like a day at the beach. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all.